Hello there, everyone, um, and welcome to this week's Asia Stories. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Caitlin Burnham. I'm the director of the Griffith Asia Institute, and it's my great pleasure to be here today. I'm stepping into the shoes of Professor Renee Jeffrey and um, filling her spot this week. She's been doing an amazing job bringing a whole lot of research stories to us uh, from across Griffith University. And so it's a great pleasure to be standing in for her this week. Before I begin formally, let me first acknowledge the traditional owners of the land on which we're meeting, for me, the Turrbal and Jagera people. But of course, you know, many people are joining us from many lands across the widest reaches of this virtual platform. I pay my respects to elders past and present and extend that to all First Nations peoples, including those who might be joining us today. And today, I'm really pleased to be here to be able to introduce uh, Nico Meisner, Dr. Nico Meisner from the Griffith Film School. Nico is the de de Deputy Director of Teaching and Learning in the Film School and Senior Lecturer, who has been with Griffith for a couple of years, but came to us via Malaysia and with a really interesting background and a really fabulously fascinating research story and experience that's taken him across. Southeast Asia. So Nico, welcome to you. Thanks Caitlin, thanks for having me. You're very welcome. Um, now I was reading your bio and we of course have worked together and so one of the things that I'm, I'm so pleased, that one of the reasons I'm so pleased you're here is because I've seen how you're able to bring stories to life through film. And we're going to get into a little bit of that in terms of one of your projects, 27 Sketches of building and sustaining filmmaking careers across Southeast Asia. We'll get to that in just a second. But before we get to that, I'm really interested, having looked at your bio, you know, you began with your PhD in the UK, um, you've spent a couple of years in Malaysia and working on collaborative projects that involve uh, USC, the University of Southern California and others. Tell us how all these dots make sense. Join, join the dots for us and tell us a little bit about your career and how you've come to be here at Griffith in the film school. That was all a very great master plan that I laid out as a child. <laughs> <laughs> no, um, I know it was all, you know, as, as so often happens in life, um, things, things just happen. Um, I studied actually in, um, in Perth in, um, for, for a year um, when I, um, you know, Germany likes to send its students out and, and the government pays. And so I thought, how far can I go? And I went to Australia. And from there I went back to, um, back to Germany and then I did my PhD, my master's first and then my PhD in the UK. And my, my partner, um, who I met in, um, in, in Perth, um, is, is Malaysian. And at the end of, the PH, at the end of my PhD, um, we were expecting our first child. And as it is, so then you sort of like wonder where do you, you know, where do you want to live? And we didn't have any support in the in the UK, like in terms of my parents lived in, in Germany, Paris, and Malaysia. So we went for Malaysia, and and I just as you do when you graduate, I guess from a PhD, you just email everyone, and just I, I emailed everyone that had sort of like a media department in, in, in the larger sense in, in Malaysia. And I was really really lucky because at the same at that at that time the Malaysian government um, had a new economic plan, mm. and they identified eight eight sectors um, that um, they wanted to push um, and, and invest into. And all of these eight sectors got, um, got a big industry player, but also an educational institution um, attached to it. And, 
And the plan was to build up the southern part of, of Malaysia, Johor, next to um, just opposite of, of Singapore, and establish uh, what was called Edge of City there. And so one of the eight sectors was the film or the screen production sector, and and Multimedia University, which is the first private university in, in Malaysia, and they were quite successful with animation. They were asked to do to build a film school there, and, and it was one of um, of the of the universities that I just emailed, and and. Um, and, but, but they, you know, they had animation, um, I guess, expertise, but no film expertise. So I just stumbled um, into that um, place at the right time. And, and the academic consultant of the program was the University of Southern California, which is one of the oldest film schools. It's, it's, it's an amazing film school. Um, mm. So you know, we designed the program together, and then I ended up you know, heading the program once it was established, and then the school once it moved uh, down, to, um, down to Johor. And then I thought, you know, cannot retire when you're in your 30s. <laughs> and so no, I, it's probably not realistic for any of us as academics. But yes, yeah, sorry, go on. And then, and then I came. I, I came from there to um, to Australia, which was also I, I just, which was also a coincidence. So I, I never looked yeah. um, to apply for anywhere else. It just so happened. It's interesting you say that. I was involved this morning in a session with some uh, PhD candidates. Who, and we were talking about goal setting and time management, and I think a couple of them might be here in this session. You know, and, and it, it's great to talk about goals, but it is, it's so interesting how so much happens accidentally in our careers. And, um, you know, I think that's something we can all learn from. I guess it's being open to the opportunities. And, and was there anything about Griffith Film School that drew you to this part of the world or just an opportunity that popped up? It was kind of like coincidence. Like ever since I studied in Australia, I, I really liked um, Australia as a place. Mm. And I thought it's a great place to, um, to bring up kids, um, but also to grow, grow professionally. Um, and I sort of was, in a way, Malaysia came a bit too early for me in my, in my own development. So like mm. I grew so quickly and then I was, I was running a school, um, mm. which, which felt way too, too, too early. And so you are in a position where, you know, um, where you have to, you should, you should learn more before you're in that mm. kind of position, I felt so. And, and, and Griffith, like, again, I didn't seek it out. I did research. Um, one of, um, actually an Australian who, um, who ran a studio here at, at the Gold Coast um, and then built up a film studio, Pinewood Studios in, in Malaysia. We worked quite closely together, um, film school and the studios there. And he told me to do some research on, um, on the Korean Academy of, of Fine Arts, um, which I did, but the, the website is only in Korean. And so, so I stumbled across um, Select and um, because the part of Select, so Select is the, um, is, is the global association of film and television schools. And, and Griffith, um, because Herman is the head of school, is, uh, is chair of the Asia Pacific region, advertised um, a, um, a job in, in head of screen producing. I, I didn't quite know what that, what that meant, um, but I, I thought I'd just test the market and, and apply and... Um, and here you are. Um, and, and one of the things that I think has been really fascinating, looking at your work as a filmmaker, sort of working in the medium of film, your primary subject seems to be other filmmakers. Would that, is that a fair assessment? Um, for, for this project, yes. Um, yeah. But this project more comes out of, you know, I mean, I was a film student myself in the UK and I was in my career 
filmmaker, I, I guess, um, during the global financial crisis. Um, that's why I ended up in, in academia. Um, and, and then I was um, um, very involved in, in the Malaysian film school. And, and, and then here, the question is always, you know, there is no linear path into, mm. uh, into a, especially a film career. So it's not that you do some tests and then all of a sudden you're, mm. you're a filmmaker or, or creative or a journalist, that journalism, it's, it's the same there. Um, so um, I was always fascinated with what happens after, right? After film school, you, you get trained and, and you have a certain, I guess, identity um, about yourself and then you're thrown into this completely different world and, and you kind of like, Got to got to swim um, in some form. So um, it's just a coincidence. Uh, but but yeah, a lot of my research is actually on uh, early career film filmmaking. And uh, and I guess I should actually just note we've got a couple of people joining us from the film school. So great to have you with us. And I hope um, we'll be able to keep working and keep bringing some of these stories uh, through Griffith through the Asia Stories series to light from the film school. But let's turn now to Paths Untold, which is really at the centre of your story and in particular your research in the region. And through this project, you were really trying to create a series of portraits, I guess, of 27 independent filmmakers from across Southeast Asia. And, and you've, you've really been able to highlight at least one filmmaker from across the Southeast Asian nations that make up ASEAN, for example. Um, and it's really fascinating. And I should just mention, you might see there's a, we'll pop a, a note in the chat that directs you to the website where you can actually find the microfilms documenting each of these portraits. It is absolutely fascinating to watch the, each of the filmmakers talk about their story. And I know when you were in the blurb around it, you talk about stories of film and filmmaking and place, but it strikes me there's so much more to it, you know, and, and different stories delve into different aspects of race, uh, privilege, power, voice, and, and I think we'll get to that in a second. And I should note for people who want to ask questions, we'd really welcome them. Please use the chat function at the bottom. I should have said that from the very beginning. Tell us how you, how you got involved in this, Nico, or where the initial idea came and why Southeast Asia? Um, yeah, I mean, so I had this natural link to, to Malaysia because of, of family, um, um, but also because I worked there and I still have a, very, a lot of very close friends um, in, in Malaysia. And these questions around career building, what happens after film school is, uh, you know, if, if you're sort of like responsible for a program or a school, these are just the questions that, that you ask and um, you're, yourself. And every time when I was in Malaysia, I, I thought there was this, like, while I was in Malaysia, um, I always thought there was this um, very romantic, almost can-do attitude of sometimes not, not, not second-guessing things, but just doing, right? Just, just making. And so when I came to, to Australia, it's, it's the same questions here. The, the, the students have the same questions in terms of you know, how, and, and the students are attracted to the same stories. The students are always attracted to Hollywood because that's what we watch, right? That's what we, that's right. what we grew up with. But, and I don't have statistics, but um, that's probably just the truth for, I don't know, 1%, half a percent, probably less um, of, of the screen professionals um, around, around the globe. I, to me, the, the, the reality of, of of a career in the, in the screen industries is much more 
it's much more Southeast Asia. And, and in a way, Southeast Asia is just this um, geographical framework that I could give it because I like the region and it's somewhat similar to Europe where a lot of cultures um, um, live together and try to, I guess, advance, uh, advance together. So that's in a way just a framework. But um, um, I think, and uh, I, I think that's my big thesis, <laughs> if, if you want, of this. I think that um, that, that the stories are they are their global stories. They, they 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 could happen in Brisbane. They could happen in um, in, in in Europe. Um, they, mm. they, these these are basically stories of um, of film careers outside of a huge global or national um, centers of, of film production. So, like our students here in at in at GFS. They also look to you know, Hollywood or, or Sydney. That's where the jobs mm -hmm. are, right? But there are their lives and careers in, in in screen industries here in Brisbane, just as they they are in Hanoi or Kuala Lumpur. Yeah. They're just less celebrated, but they are they are very real. So one of the participants, and I can't remember who it was that said this. I'm just looking at my notes that there is a story around every corner. Maybe it was Adam from Thailand. There's, you know, and I thought that was so interesting that it was just looking at the stories that are around you, that are local, that are about your place. One of the things that did strike me is how important place was. And, and I think the, the question of Hollywood came up a couple of times where that Hollywood didn't seem to have as much of an attraction necessarily than working locally. Yeah, so that was fascinating. You know, I don't want to... It's difficult to generalize, I guess, those, yeah. those, yeah. those stories. Um, but obviously, I met all of them in in, in Southeast Asia, um, and um, maybe a third um, of the filmmakers I interviewed had studied overseas, or lived overseas, or grew up overseas for for some reason. And I, I asked everyone whether they would live overseas um, for whatever, for for career, whether we leave their place and um, for better opportunities. And all of them kind of. I think all of them uh, kind of like said, this, this is my place. This is the, where my stories are. This is the place I know. I couldn't make a film in, in, in France mm -hmm. because I just don't understand the culture. I don't, uh, it's not just a language thing. It's, it's understanding mm -hmm. um, the cultures, understanding the people and the stories. And so even M M Myanmar as a, as a place, you know, mm -hmm. that of course um, changes, changes a lot. And we talked a lot about censorship and, and, and working in a, potentially quite restrictive system. And, and, and that's the first place where we would think, well, if offered the chance, pe people would probably want to leave. But they, they all sort of said, this is a place where I can actually make a change. And, yeah. and a place I know, home, right, it's home. So that's really fascinating. And I guess you've just highlighted a couple of points there. And, you know, thinking about Southeast Asia, what a diverse, you know, incredibly dynamic kind of region to be traversing through film and, and in terms of talking to filmmakers. What, I mean, were the challenges that you had to face as you embarked on this project that really took you across each nation and, and through each of the capital cities? How, for example, did you identify the, the participants for this research? Um, so I started quite mathematical. Um, right. I, like, I looked at the ASEAN nations and um, I, I got a, um, an, an art, a new research grant from, from, from Griffith, um, so I applied for that and worked out the budget and I thought, oh, I can actually go to every, <laughs> every country and uh, it's quite inclusive uh, in a way, um, yeah. all, 
no, diverse <laughs> um, for one of a better word. Um, so I looked at every capital city just because uh, that's mostly where the cultural hotspots are, but they were also most accessible to me. Um, yeah. And I left Brunei out um, because I didn't think there would be film industry in Brunei. I only then learned, so so that was kind of like the starting point. I, don't, I don't yeah. wanted three, three per, per country. So right. um, that was the goal. And then I started reaching out. Obviously I knew people in Malaysia, so I didn't uh, need that much help in Malaysia. For the other countries, I tried to identify in-country experts, usually people that work uh, at a film school, at a center of film education, but some educational, so, you know, that we have similar, I guess, backgrounds, me and, and, and the in-country expert. Um, but I also had colleagues here in, in GFS that, uh, that know the region quite well. Um, and so I just asked for, for contacts and that's how it happened. That's also how I discovered that there actually is film, that there are films being made in yeah. And, 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 you know, and then I just included a 10th country. And in the end, I had three per country. Some, like in Thailand, for instance, I only got my third interviewee um, while I was in Thailand already and spoke mm. to, to one. Um, uh, like during my first interview, I mentioned that I'm kind of like short one because one canceled mm. on me. Yeah. Um, and, and I found a third one. But it worked out quite well. Only in Laos, I have, I have two. Um, mm. But those are two very, very important filmmakers that kind of like started up uh, the, the mm -hmm. last new, new wave uh, in 2012. And in Brunei, I only have one person, but uh, you know, I, I didn't think there was any film being made there, so I learned it there. Well, exactly. And the texture across the, the filmmakers and their own stories is really fascinating. Um, the fact that you've got some award-winning, I'm thinking Anthony Chen as an award-winning filmmaker. Um, you've got some who, are, who may be less known, but Let's just come back to, um, is it Maddie um, from Laos? You know, she had a really fascinating story. I wonder if you can just delve into that a little bit. Tell us about her story. Yeah, she had a very long story. Like when I transcribed her interview, it was 9,000 words. Right? Wow. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, so Maddie has an interesting story. Um, I'm not sure where she was born, um, mm. but I think her brother, at least, was born in, in Laos, in Vientiane. Uh, um, in, in and, and um, that was a time of, of, of civil war. Um, and he, they actually grew up in just across the border, uh, I think in Thailand, across the border in a refugee camp. And then the family immigrated um, to the US. So, so Matty might have been born, but at least she grew up in, in California and then traveled. Uh, um, with uh, the entire US, but she never had a film background. And, mm -hmm. and her partner is a, is a script writer. So when her mother passed away, um, and her mother was quite a, success, a successful businesswoman in, mm -hmm. uh, in California herself, and then everything was taken away from her at, at one point. So there, there was quite a um, Rex to Riches story um, in there mm -hmm. as well. So but when her mother passed away, her mother's last wish was that uh, Matty takes care of her father and her father wanted to go back to Laos. And Matty has never been in Laos. Um, yeah, that's amazing. She came mm. back, she brought her partner and mm. there they were. And, and they just stumbled into people, um, the old um, government department, they made newsreels and documentaries, um, mm. like five or so a year, not much happened. Um, and they were all trained in the Soviet Union. And so she stumbled into those people and, and they said, we want to make films here. Can you help? And, and she just said, yes. So it's you know, one of those mm. kind of uh, examples where just she really had very little experience um, of, of making films and then built 
she made three feature films now, and, and they are, and these are the first films, allow, allow films that have been distributed internationally. So she pr premieres at um, sci-fi festivals in the in the U.S. Um, mm -hmm. so, um, it's it's a quite it's, it's a nice story of just grabbing grabbing an opportunity. And then there are the stories of those that are working in within countries where censorship is extremely strict and I'm, I'm trying to think of one of your participants from Vietnam who talked about the fact that his film was ultimately banned um, uh, and it was slated to, for a showing in Venice. Uh, he wasn't allowed to go. So it must be, you know, I think you really drew out some of the restrictions that apply to filmmakers across the region. Did that worry you dealing with their stories or bringing their stories to light at all? It worries me now a bit because like, I'm in the I'm in the final process of um, locking off um, a, a book, so their 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 stories will will appear in a you know, just the edited interviews um, in a um, in a book for for Routledge. and and some of the Myanmar stories really talk about government and the military not necessarily knowing what they were doing, but still so they made a film um, on the, on. Um, on Cyclone back then, and, and the government was in 2008, and the government was really completely against it. And um, they weren't discovered, and they had to be anonymous, um, I guess, in the credits. I think it's all open knowledge now, um, but uh, those kind of so Myanmar that happens, and Vietnam is probably slightly less restrictive, but I, I interviewed two yeah. filmmakers in Vietnam um, whose films got, got banned, so they weren't allowed to, to show them in, in Vietnam. But like I think I was I didn't know these things when I when I uh, was was seeking out um, the the filmmakers. I just wanted to talk to people that kind of like make screen media in in in, in those countries. So the stories, like I was usefully naive <laughs> going yeah. going into that, yeah. and um, and and then also surprised about a couple of things. So you know I'm running the interviews through as many of the filmmakers as I can. Mm -hmm. Some of them you know don't. Check the emails, I guess. <laughs> but now most most of them read um, read through the interviews, and, you know, and they don't highlight that it's a problem. So I guess it's okay. Yeah, and it was just you know if you look at the different stories, what people were trying to show through their film also differed. And you know, I think Snow, for example, in Myanmar talked about bringing women's voices to the fore. That that women didn't have an opportunity to to have voice in community. But but that. I guess brings me to the method that you're applying. Um, and we talked about this a little while ago, how you weren't necessarily on a mission to find out certain things. It this was really a process of bringing stories to light. Can you talk to that a little bit? Yeah. When I, when, when I did my PhD, I tried to find the 10 rules of how yeah. to build an audience online. <laughs> Um, and I did have sort of 10 rules. And so I think often like in academia, we try to find the truth and, and averages and, um, and rules and laws, right? Yeah. Um, and that's good, <laughs> that's great. Um, maybe, I don't know, maybe I'm not smart enough to find those things. I, I do think uh, that there is a lot in, in individuality and in, in individuals, um, in individual stories. So in a way, the, the working thesis was always that you know no no career is the same in the um, in, in the in the film industry. So I would kind of like do myself a disservice if I try to find rules or laws yeah. like a step that everybody went through, unless you go really wide. Uh, anyway, um, and then and then you know when I was 
when I was finishing film school, um, I specialized in editing and I found this book um, by Roger Crittenden, who, complete coincidence, again, is, is an adjunct professor at, at GFS, so, um, who, um, who, uh, you know, who interviewed European film, film editors on their career, on their craft, and in his interview book. And there's no, you know, there's no huge academic contextualization of this thing. It's just mm. 30 or odd stories about editors editing. And, you know, I, I, I rediscovered the book lately and I made highlights, right? I highlighted mm. certain things that were relevant for me um, in the book. So, uh, so in a way, this project was the same. I just really wanted to talk to 27, 30 people um, and, and listen. I, I do think lis listening is under, underappreciated as, as an art. And sometimes, I don't know, I, like, I, I give you long answers, but I, I never really feel like I, I have that much to say. I always find it more fascinating. It's more convenient for me <laughs> to, to listen to people. And you know, I learn more when I, when, I, when I listen. It's a bit selfish, but um, the, the idea is to, to listen. You know. Well, I think it's come across brilliantly. And I'm looking at the chat and I can't see any questions coming through. So please, um, Please do put any questions in. We've only got a few minutes to go. So that's to the audience if you'd like uh, to ask Nico a question. But I could talk about this for hours because it, it's so beautifully put together, Nico. Um, and you have done a great job of listening. But I think you've also done a brilliant job of bringing place to life. And, you know, I particularly... I particularly enjoyed the um, clips of the, the Vietnamese filmmakers just because it, it gave this view of the streets of Hanoi, um, the side alleys, the shops, the motorbikes. And I think that's the case through most of those clips. Did you do the filming or the, how did you, um, how did you pull that side of it together? So, you know, when I, when I pitched the project, the idea was to get the story. So I wanted to get the interviews and I always wanted to put the interviews into, into a book. Um, it's kind of like the stories. Um, but I also, because I work at a film school, I also wanted to film the interviews. And the original plan was to do a 30-minute interview documentary on, on each country. And then I sat down with my cinematographer, who is, um, um, is, is a very talented uh, graduate from, from Malaysia, who you know, went uh, to the film school when, when I was there. So we worked together. We uh, discussed the approach. And she kind of like said, well, who's, who's watching? <laughs> Who's watching half an hour uh, sit down documentaries? Yeah. Nobody, nobody does that. And also, um, the those stories are in the book already, uh, in a way. Mm. So we then developed sort of like an, uh, an approach that, that that the films are less stories and more snippets, more emotions, I guess, mm. more trying to, I guess, capture the the emotion of the place, but also the people in in the film, and not in an exotic way, not mm. not showing palm trees, but really trying to find the reality of, of, um, of those people and, uh, you know, where those careers are lived. Um, so the, the cities. Yeah. And for me, like, when I lived in Malaysia, it was always, um, and I went to a lot of concerts in Berlin um, when, I, uh, when I was a student. And, and that sort of like alternative culture scene exists in Malaysia as well. If, you know, it's not as, as, as widely known as, as in Berlin, um, but it exists if you look into the right pockets. And so that was kind of like what we tried to discover, the, the, the skate parks, the, the cafes, cafes everywhere, mm. Um, mm. The, the clubs, didn't find that many, um, but in, in, in Manila we found one. 
um, but the alternative um, local yeah. local culture because we believe it's global um, again it's it's kind of global and then the way so, so again we worked with lo local fixers that could kind of like show us creative spaces um, in, in the wider sense but also so my cinematographer was Malaysian so she of course has a very different way of looking at things than, than I as, as a European and all my editors I've five or six editors they were all they were all Malaysian um, and one one um, from from Indonesia who, uh, was a student um, here at, at, at Griffith um, so but they were all Southeast Asian so um, it's all their place um, and it's funny that you pick out the um, the, the Vietnamese ones because the two Vietnamese films are the only two films that were edited by my cinematographer so that's kind of like it's all completely her vision she she filmed it and then she edited it together as well. Well, I can absolutely tell you that right now when none of us are able to travel, especially into Southeast Asia, they just, you know, it made me really nostalgic actually for being able to be there and walk the streets. It, it, it's very real. I think that grittiness of just day-to-day -day living comes through it. So uh, congratulations on that. Um, I know that through some of the different stories, you know, people gave some insights into who inspired them and those answers differed right throughout the stories. But I wonder, who inspires you? Who inspires me? <laughs> um, oh, that's a good, um, I, I have different, so like Roger Crittenden's book um, was, was an inspiration um, for this. There, there is another book called, um, how's it called? Do I have it here? No. Um, the, a Ways of Seeing by John Berger. Um, okay. yeah. Who um, you know? Who writes a lot about the power of of, of images, uh, but he also has a visual essay. It's just a chapter of, of pictures. So I have that, and I, I got a routage to agree to printing thirty black and white pictures. <laughs> um, so I have a visual essay in there. Um, but you know, when I looked for a title um, of um, of thing, and it was always called. The book, <laughs> the book is called Independent Filmmaking in Southeast Asia, which is the most boring title ever. Um, <laughs> But that's what Routledge told me I have to call it for discoverability purposes. Um, when I settled on a title for the project, it was called Paths Untold, which is horrible for German uh, to pronounce. Um, but that is based on Parts Unknown. <laughs> yeah. So cheesy. Um, by Anthony Bourdain. Um, so like, and, and that is, um, I, like, I liked um, Anthony Bourdain's approach it's again this bit mm -hmm. underground culture very people centric and and i guess enjoying enjoying the streets um, mm. and not not creating not celebrating anything anything as exotic because then it's always different and and it's special because it's different but uh, celebrating everything for you know for just because it is just because yeah. it exists and, and we're all similar in a way and it's so accessible um, when you look at it through that lens. Now, I've, I do have a question here from Margaret, um, and she asks, given your findings with these emerging filmmakers, what learnings do you think we should take into our teaching with emerging film students at Griffith Film School and the importance of their place in Australia? Ah, Margaret, we have these discussions every day. <laughs> <laughs> um, it, it's, it's quite... Uh, it's it's interesting. Um, it's, it's, there, there are two answers. Um, Kate and you and I we talked about that as well. And and one of my big an answers, and I realized that in Malaysia already when I when I worked there is 
Malaysia is not Hollywood, right? And so we were consulted by the University of Southern California and they have this, they're so opinionated about how they teach and it all makes so much sense. And, and, and it took me two years or so to realize, but we're not in Hollywood, right? Um, yeah. and, and, and I'm somewhat proud of that realization to, to go along. Um, but I do think that Brisbane is also not Hollywood. So in a way, um, the digital age, um, um, makes media so accessible and, and in a way everybody can almost be, be a filmmaker but um, film education is built on a like the University of Southern California is, is almost 100 years old and they were um, they were one of the first film schools and they are really built on what we call the, 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 the six-pack of, of film education so they reflect the specialization, the highly specialized film industry. You either train as a director or a cinematographer or a writer or whatever, in one thing, right? And then you go into the industry and you start at the bottom and you work your way up and you're one niche. Mm. And I don't think that's how careers work in, in, at the periphery, if, if you want, in, in, in smaller centers of film production. I don't, I don't think that's how careers work in Southeast Asia. I think they're much more multi-skilled. You basically, mm. you just, gotta get a project up and then you write and you direct and you produce and you sh shoot it yourself, you edit. Matty Doe's uh, did, did um, makeup in, in, in her films because that's what she was uh, trained. Yeah. So you just do whatever you do in order to get it done. And that's an entrepreneurial skill. And so I think multi-skilling on entrepreneurial skills are much more needed in film education outside of the centers of film production, so outside of Sydney here. Mm. Um, um, but I also think, um, and um, uh, sort of come back to the question Margaret asked. So, so the, other th the other thing that for me is important is, you know, not currently because we cannot travel, but we grow together more and more. All these Southeast Asian filmmakers, they build their careers, you know, as Malaysian filmmakers, as Singaporean filmmakers, but really as global filmmakers. And mm -hmm. so they were good at identifying their own story, which mm -hmm. actually, so I'm learning we're all very shy to tell our own stories. Uh, we, we think it's not worth anything. We, we think other people's stories are worth more. So I think that's really important um, in film education to train that. And that was, in Malaysia, that was so difficult because when I taught in Malaysia to start making students proud of their own culture. And, and mm. But you know, in the end you get there. Um, so that, um, but also how to function in, in multi, cultural, such an overused term, but you know, how to work with others that are not from your, like how to work with indigenous people in, in, in Australia, how to work with immigrants, um, how, I mean, it's such a pottery of, of, of cultures where, where we live in, whether it's mm -hmm. Southeast Asia or it's Australia. And, and sometimes it's difficult for us to realize our own voice, but mm -hmm. also to accept everybody else's voice. And so as, as a training institution, I think that's, that's really important to look beyond understand who we are but then also look beyond who we are. Mm. Um, Nico I feel like we've had a masterclass with you today so thank you uh, it's been really good to hear from you I'm such an admirer of, of your work and love working with you so um, thanks for being part of Asia Stories I think that's that's time for us and look forward to catching up with you again and and to our next Asia Stories next week. Thank you. Right. Thank you very much everyone.